found a penny today just laying on the ground. But it's not just a penny, this little coin I found. That's what my grandma told me. She said angels toss them down. Sometimes just to cheer you up to make a smile out of your frown. So don't pass by that penny when you are feeling blue. It may be a penny from heaven that your guardian angel tossed to you. Is it just me or does that give you the warm fuzzies inside? And if you don't like that poem, it must mean that you hate your grandmother and angels because it talks about both, right? And if you hate your grandmother and angels, then by extension, we can also conclude you hate God, Jesus, puppies, and unicorns. And if you don't love unicorns, according to my six-year-old, you're not going to heaven, all right? So, well, we don't know who the author of that corny poem is, but we're pretty sure it's not the Apostle Paul, all right? And we don't know who the author of Hebrews is, even though we've speculated it might be Paul. But Paul has a word to say about angels uh, here in the opening chapter of the book of Hebrews. So if you have your Bible, let me invite you to take it and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1 for the second message in our Jesus is Greater Than series through the book of Hebrews. I shared with you last week that we're a little mysterious on who the author of Hebrews is. Some speculates the Apostle Paul. Some have said Barnabas. I even read a theory one time that said it might have been Moses speaking prophetically about events that have yet to happen because of his knowledge of the law. And so that's a stretch. But, but the reality is simply this. Even though uh, we, we weren't sure who the author is of Hebrews in a human sense, we did conclude last week that Hebrews uh, breaks into three distinct sections. Uh, The first two sections deal with the supremacy of Christ. And the third section uh, is motivation to persevere. In other words, once you understand who Jesus is, uh, then that should motivate you to persevere no matter what difficulties or trials, afflictions or persecution that you experience in following him. So uh, let's go from an overview last week into content here in chapter 1. We're going to read all of chapter 1 this morning uh, in the book of Hebrews. So Hebrews chapter 1 says this. God, uh, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, whom being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, Having become so much better than the angels, as he by an inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Then he goes into this treatise here on angels beginning in verse 5. He says, for which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain they will all grow old like a garment like a cloak you will fold them up and they will be changed but you are the same and your years will not fail but to which of the angels has he ever said sit at my right hand till i make your enemies your footstool are they all not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit 
salvation. Now, if you're here and you're interested in spiritual things, but you've yet to land on whether or not Jesus is what you're pursuing, then this is a great week to be here uh, because you picked a great Sunday. Because in Hebrews chapter 1, there's a comparison, a contrast between Jesus and one of the most popular spiritual beings in all of culture, that uh, what we call angels. And uh, we like angels, right? Uh, We like the strong angels that protect us. We like the chubby angels that help us fall in love. Uh, If you're here, listen, let me make a strong statement. If you're here and you don't like angels, then you probably think they serve Gold Star and not Skyline in Heaven's Cafeteria, all right? That's how big of a sin it is, all right? So, So we like angels. And so uh, we have a lot of questions about angels, but what we do know, it's very appealing, we like that. But in building the case for the supremacy of Christ in all things, he makes a comparison, uh, takes a name right at angels, and he's not down on angels here in chapter 1. He's just up on Jesus and his supremacy above every other being. And so in launching this comparison in, uh, between angels and Jesus in verses 5 through 14, but before he gets there, he tells us something in 1 through 4, which is the first section, which is simply this. You cannot know God without knowing Jesus. You cannot know God without uh, knowing Jesus. One of the things I've learned in uh, pastoring is that people very quickly can get into kind of theological tunnel vision. They have certain things they're interested. I don't know if you saw recently on social media or in various places, there, there's a lot of talk right now about numerology and is the world going to end, whoever people are into that. So some people are obsessed with numerology. Some people are obsessed with angels. Some people are obsessed with prophecy. They, they'll tell you that every third verse in the Bible is a prophetic verse, which that's true, and they, they can't understand why you're not interested in studying prophecy. Well, my experience is that apologetics, which is the defense of the faith, is one of those things. People either love it and spend all their time studying it to the point almost where their faith is not uh, intimacy with Christ. It's cerebral. And some people, they're just not interested at all. They think you should just believe to the point where they don't have good answers for people that ask hard questions. And so, uh, so I think in this culture, you should have a base kind of knowledge of apologetics as you engage a secular culture. And one of the most common questions as it relates to apologetics is simply this, a proof of the existence of God. How many of you have ever heard someone say, hey, if God's real, then, then show him to me? Anybody ever had anybody say that? Yeah, I've had that conversation lots and lots of times. Well, in, in apologetics and talking about the the defense of the existence of God, there are basically three uh, primary arguments for the existence of God. There's the uh, uh, cosmological argument, there's the ontological argument, and there's the teleological argument. Now, some of you are nervous because you think, I just spoke in tongues, right? So just relax, Uh, just don't get nervous. If someone hands you a snake, just just pass it down, no big deal. These are our big words, and so I'm going to make them as simple as I can. It's relevant to the text. Uh, I'm going to do, in the words of the late J. Vernon McGee, I'm going to take the cookies and put them on the bottom shelf where the kids can get them, all right? So I'll make this as simple uh, as I can. A cosmological argument for God is simply this. Everything has a first cause. And those who would argue the existence of God from the cosmological perspective said everything has to have a first cause, and God is that first cause. The ontological argument, which is the most complex, uh, argues that the fact that we would even conceive that there is a God, by reason alone, we should conclude that there is a God just from pure reason. And then lastly, the teleological argument is simply this, is the world is so orderly 
It is so uh, intricately and purposely designed that there has to be a creator who put all of that order into existence. Now, why did I tell you that? Because in this last argument, the teleological argument for God, there are people who would argue for the existence of God. However, they're not believers. Uh, It's what philosophers and, and apologists call deists. And a deist, here's what they believe. They believe that, hey, because the intricate design of the world and how things are playing out, there has to be a creator. But in their mind, it's simply, it's not the God of the Bible, and he's not personal. Uh, they would hold to what's often called the watchmaker theory, where this, the world is winding out like a watch, but there had to be someone who wound up the watch, and so whoever that supreme being is, he wound up the world or the universe like a watch, and he set it down, and he steps back and does not involve himself in the affairs of humanity. Now, that's, a, that's an interesting argument. However, there's only one problem with that argument, and it's a big one. Are you ready? Here it is. Jesus. It's Jesus. That if you ever want to have that argument and say, well, God's not interested, then what do you do with Christ who took God, took on flesh, and stepped into human history to involve himself in the affairs of humanity in his plan of redemption? And the context here is these Jewish converts to, to Christianity are experiencing incredible persecution under Nero. And they were, they were so persecuted that by following Jesus personally that they were tempted just to kind of to shrink back and, and go back to, to Judaism and this formality and this external religion. Uh, they were tempted to go back because here's what's happened to them is uh, they say, hey, listen, living for Jesus has made life incredibly difficult. And, and we're just going to shrink back. Because the Persians become uh, so overwhelming. And then basically the problem here, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 1 says this. He said, here's the deal though. You can shrink back if you want. But you cannot know God apart from pursuing Jesus intimately. You you cannot be a watchmaker who says, hey, God wound it up and he's playing it out. And I'll just kind of go through some religious motions. He says, no, no, it doesn't work like that. You may be shrink back from following Jesus, but you cannot know God deeply without walking with Jesus intimately. Is what he's laying into. That's exactly what he says in verse 2. Go back at verse 2 again in chapter 1. He says, as in these last days... Uh, spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also uh, he made the worlds. Uh, What he's saying here in verse 2 is that Jesus is a fuller and final uh, revelation of God. He's better than the angels, chapter 1 and 2. He's better than Moses, chapter 3. He's better than Joshua, chapter 4. And so what does it mean when he says he's the full revelation of God? Basically, uh, what verse 2 is saying is simply this, is that God, in revealing his plan to humanity, basically has two chapters. Chapter 1, he spoke through the ministry of the prophets. Chapter 2, through the person and work of Jesus. And here's the deal, there is no chapter 3. That's why he says, in these last days, in other words, this is the second and final chapter of how I'm going to reveal myself to all of humanity. Now, now here's what's interesting. God is telling them, hey, you you can go back. If the the persecution is so well, you you can shrink back. You can just kind of go through the motions, and you just have this outward, external kind of religious uh, experience. But here's the deal. Uh, God will never reveal himself in the full and final way like he's chosen to reveal himself through Jesus. So if you do that, you're forfeiting knowing God deeply. 
They're willing to exchange God working in their lives through Jesus, through some outward religion, just going through the motions. They came from a family heritage that, that, that taught that, that you couldn't approach God's presence apart from a priest intermediating on your behalf. And he said, hey, that, that's what you're going back to. If you shrink back from Jesus because persecution's incredible, you're exchanging that for walking with the Lord. Now, we hear that and here's what we think. How dumb could they be? Who in the world uh, w- would do that, would exchange this external formality for knowing God intimately uh, through, through Jesus because life got hard? Who would do that? Listen, here's the answer. Uh, you and I would. You and I would. And the reason I say that is because of this. Is because there are people all the time going through the external motions, going through just church, but not walking with the Lord intimately and following Him closely. Because when you follow Jesus closely, He has a history and a track record of messing up your plans, does He not? That all of a sudden, that whole idea of I've got my life planned out and I'm moving down this course and I'm going to do this and you know all the, and then you start walking with the Lord, He starts leading you and He messes up all of your plans. And the reason is simply this: following Jesus closely invites discomfort. Jesus had some statements that are not popular: "Deny yourself and take up my cross." And what happened with these early Christians was this. They said, hey, no one bothered us before. Yes, we didn't know God like we know Him now when we're pursuing Jesus, but, but no one bothered us. So, so we'll just go back to that and just go through the motions because when I start following Jesus publicly and intimately, all of a sudden life can get incredibly difficult. And that's the exchange that you and I make when we say this. You know what? When I, if I'm going to follow the Lord closely, there's a chance life could get harder. And so you and I do the exact same thing thing that they're struggling with here uh, in chapter one we exchange a personal walk with God for whatever we think will make life more pleasant and that's exactly what they're going through in Hebrews and every single time that we make that exchange every single time we choose something other than following Christ that's the same trade that we're making yes yes I know this will distance me from the Lord But if I follow him closely, I'm not in charge anymore. If I follow him closely, the outcome may not be what I want it to be. And that's exactly what they're struggling with. Life was getting hard. And so Jesus is calling them to to give something up. And he's calling us to give something up. And the writer of Hebrews knows that it's hard. He knows that it's hard. He knows that at times when following Christ, there'll be times it's challenged Uh, There'll be times it's persecution. There'll be times it's caused you to put on the outsider ostracized because you're pursuing holiness in a culture of sensuality. And what he's saying and leaning into them is simply this. Listen, I promise you it will be worth it. I know that it's incredible persecution. I know that you're giving up control of your plans. I know that it's temptation to shrink back and just go through the motions when life was easier. But I promise you when you understand all that he is and all that he's done, it will be worth it worth it and that's the exact thing he's still saying to us today and the question becomes this do are we convinced are we convinced that Jesus alone can satisfy the deepest longings of our heart 
And if you want to experience God in all the offers, God has not chosen to remain a mystery. Look at verse 1 again in chapter 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. And so what does that mean there in verse 1? If you're listening, say amen. Here's what he's saying. God's revelation in the Old Testament, it, it, was, it was progressive. Uh, we read at times that God revealed himself through the angels. Uh, we read that he spoke to Moses through the burning bush and then later directly on the mountain. Uh, he revealed himself to the Israelites through fire and thunder and earthquakes and clouds by day. He revealed himself uh, through miracles he did to Moses. He spoke to Isaiah in a vision in Ezekiel in the vision of wheels and creatures. Uh, Sometimes he used dreams and object lessons and all these things. So what he's saying here is, hey, God spoke in the past by various ways. It was kind of a progressive thing. But in this second chapter, the way that God has spoken has finally been revealed fully and completely in Jesus. And so if you pursue him, you'll know everything you know about God deeply. Theologian F.F. Bruce said this. He said his word was not completely uttered until Christ came. But when Christ came, the word spoken to him was indeed God's final word. The story of divine revelation is a progression up to Christ, but here is no progression beyond him. Now, now here's, here's the good news. If you want to know God, he's not a mystery. If you want to know God deeply, everything you need to know is found in the person and work of Christ. Tasha, can you come up here so I can wipe my face on the back of your shirt? No? No, you won't do that. (laughs) Here's the good news. Look at verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. What does that mean? The express image refers to the, the, the exact character or representation of the nature of God. It's the idea of a signet ring and a wax seal. And he said, hey, listen, everything that God is has been reproduced, the exact essence in Christ. And so all that you can know of God is found in Christ. And so the first thing he says here in verses 1 through 4 is simply this, is that everything that God wants to reveal is found in Christ. And so let's, if that's true, let's ask a question. The question is simply this. Do you want to follow Jesus, or do you just want to be spiritual? Have you noticed that in our culture, that while holding to a biblical worldview, uh, it's gotten much less popular, but being uh, spiritual has become wildly popular? There's been a definitive uh, uh, shift in culture. Uh, Listen to some of this research. This was fascinating. A Pew Research Center survey, this was published in 2015, so uh, this is not super old. So it revealed that millennials uh, are less attached to organized religion than their parents and grandparents at the same age. So so here's the stats. Uh, About 40% of millennials say religion is very important to their lives. So so 40%. That's a little higher than than some of the things we read. That's a little encouraging. 40% say that uh, religion is uh, important in their lives. However... In the same survey, uh, about 80% of millennials believe in God, and increasing numbers identify with statements like this. Listen to this statement. I feel a deep sense of spiritual peace uh, and well-being, or I experience a deep 
sense of wonder about the universe. Now, rewind the clock just a generation or two, and if anyone said, hey, I feel a deep sense of peace about the universe, you know what we just assumed of them? That they raised mushrooms and listened to the Doobie Brothers. Amen? Like that, when someone said that, you're like, whoa, something's off here, right? Something's off. Something like that hits a little close to home. But, but now, listen, just a generation or two later, uh, that, that's viewed as an equally uh, valid viewpoint as biblical Christianity. So, so here's the question. Why do people pursue spirituality without pursuing Jesus? Why is that becoming so popular uh, in our culture? Let's do a little controlled scientific research. How many of you would raise your hand and say this? I know someone who's not a Christ follower, but they would claim to be deeply spiritual and they would get very defensive if you said they weren't. Anybody know someone like that? Yeah, lots of us. Lots, that, that's way popular in culture, right? Like, I, I'm spiritual. I just, I'm just i not into Jesus or church or, or organized religion, so that's all over. So, so here's a question. What in the world does it have to do with Hebrews chapter 1, right? So uh, look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4 says this, Having become so much better than the angels. So, so, so much better uh, than one of the most revered, spiritual beings Christ is supreme over all of that and you may be spiritual but not into Jesus but but here's the deal if someone says hey I'm spiritual but not into Jesus what he's saying in verse 4 and all the way down through verse 14 is then you need to recognize you're settling for second place that everything God wants to reveal about himself is found in Jesus alone and so uh, we read that verse 4 that Christ is better than the angels and so uh was that a was that is that a big deal like that's not something we wrestle with was that a big deal uh, in their culture did they worship angels what exactly uh was going on here so so watch this little video clip this is from the hebrews overview that we posted on our facebook and so this kind of helps you understand why he would even say that in verse four that jesus is above the angels compares Jesus with angels, which might strike you as kind of odd, like why angels? In Jewish tradition, it was taught, based on Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 2, that the Torah and the words of God were delivered to Moses at Mount Sinai by angels. And so by saying that Jesus is superior to angels, the author is claiming that Jesus and his message of good news are superior to all previous messengers of God's word. So basically, their culture, what they thought was angels, they gave the message to Moses. I mean, if they speak, it's got incredible. And he said, no, listen, I don't care who's speaking, who, what you think about. Listen, Jesus is better. You, you may be into spirituality and, and heavenly beings, but Jesus is supreme over all of those things. And so after making that statement there uh, in verse 4, then he just rattles off a bullet list. Just a bullet list of all the reasons Jesus is superior even above angels. Now, just a, a little uh, side note here. How many of you love it? How many of you love it uh, when a Jehovah's Witness comes to your door? Anybody like me like that? Like when they come and you're a pastor, you're like, you're like yes, come in, right? I've got things to share too. <laughs> now, here, here's the reality. Some, you know, you get into a conversation... Uh, sir, we perceive thou art a prophet. We're just going to go to the next house, right? And so, so what happens? So, so here's the deal. One of the things that they believe is that Jesus was an archangel. 
All right? That's one of their beliefs. So just ask them and just keep this. So, so here's the deal. So when they believe that, and you can ask that, he begins, you should turn to Hebrews chapter 1 and say Jesus was an archangel or just one of the No, no, no. Jesus is better. And then he just goes down through this bullet list in verses 5 down through verse 14. All of these are quotes from the Old Testament. Let me give you the bullet list here in verses 4 down through 14. Jesus is superior to the angels because he's uniquely the Son of God, verses 4 and 5. Jesus is superior to the angels because they worship and serve him, uh, verses 6 and 7. Uh, Jesus is superior to the angels because he is the God who reigns eternally, uh, verses 8 and 9. Jesus is superior to the angels because he is the eternal creator of heaven and earth. Verses 10, 11, and 12. Now, anybody know when angels were created? When the Bible says this, that God created the heaven and the earth, or the heavens and the earth. Listen, angels are created beings. They're a part of God's created work. Jesus, according to these verses, is eternal. How can he be an archangel if he's eternal? He cannot. And then finally in verses 13 and 14, Jesus is superior to the angels because he sits at God's right hand, whereas they are sent out to serve the saints according to verse 14. Now, how is this relevant today? I've been doing this for 16 years. I've had a few hundred people come into my office and walking with difficulty and sharing things and saying, hey, can you, can you pour into my life? Can you give me counsel? Not a single time in 16 years have I sat across and someone say, hey, what are you struggling with? I just had this inner compulsion to worship angels, right? Like, like no one has ever said that. You know, hey, we're walking through a through a difficult time in our marriage. Why do you think that is? Because my, my spouse uh, uh, insists on worshiping angels. Not one time, all right? And so why is this, what does this have to do with us today? Because here's the reality. We may not struggle specifically with exalting angels, but what we wrestle with in culture and the natural drift of our hearts is to do this. It's to worship the creation over the creator. And that's exactly what this is about. It's the natural drift of our heart. Listen to Romans chapter 1. Paul writes these words, For although they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now, now here it is, listen. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And worship and serve something created instead of the creator who is forever praised. You know what the natural drift of your heart is and my heart according to Romans 1? It's to worship the creation. It's to look at the things that God has given us to enjoy and, and exalt those things and put more allegiance and more importance to those things than we do to Christ. And what he's saying here in chapter 1 is don't do that because Christ is supreme over all other created things, even an angel. And so the reality is simply this. If, if chapter 1 is true, then why in the world would someone pursue spirituality apart from pursuing Jesus? Let me tell you why. Because in spirituality, I get all the benefits. I get all the, all the positive things. Listen, uh, verse 14, what's it say about angels? It says they're incredibly helpful ministering spirits, right? But you know what I've noticed in people who are spiritual? Not a single 
one of them into all their spirituality ever builds into their spirituality a framework of authority or accountability. Have you noticed that? Not, not one, no, no one builds in their framework of spirituality, any kind of authority, uh, any kind of accountability. However, when I start following Christ, uh, what I realize is, is He alone sets the standard for lawless, uh, lawlessness and righteousness, verses 8 and 9. He alone has the authority to, to judge me spiritually, verses 13. And so here's what's ultimately wrong with spirituality. Look at verse 5. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And so you know what he's saying here? He's saying, listen, you can be spiritual, you can pursue spirituality all day long and still miss heaven. You know what that phrase there in verse 5, does that little phrase sound familiar? Uh, begotten Son. Let me quote another verse to you. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And for those who say, listen, I, I'm, I'm totally cool with Jesus. I'm, I'm spiritual and, and Jesus is in the mix. Let me share another verse with you. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is salvation in any other. There is no salvation for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so let me just close with a question this morning. You find yourself in one of three places, just like they did in chapter 1. You're struggling with the same thing. We struggle with the same things. You're either going through the motions externally because to live for Christ would cause your life to be uncomfortable. And so you just shrink back and just kind of go through the motions and play church. It's one of the things they're struggling. Or you would describe yourself as spiritual, but not necessarily pursuing Jesus with your life. But, but you're a spiritual person. The problem with that is only Jesus saves according to verse 5. Or you're pursuing Christ. And it's caused your life to get uncomfortable. And if that's where you're at this morning, then, then, then here's my encouragement to you. All throughout the book of Hebrews, here's what he's saying. It's worth it. It's worth it. Yes, there'll be moments of being persecuted. Yes, there'll be times where you're on the outside when everyone else seems to be on the inside. Yes, there'll be times that, that he interrupts your plans, but every single time what he'll reveal along the way about himself is this, it will be worth it. And so if that's where you find yourself today, just keep on keeping on for Jesus. Amen? Because in the end, no one will look back on the other side of eternity and go, it wasn't worth it, it was a waste. Jesus above all. That's what he's challenging us here this morning. Let me invite you to bow your heads. If you're here this morning, let me walk through those three places you may find yourself spiritually. Number one, you may find yourself here and just like they were tempted to do in chapter one, you're just going through the motions.
You're just playing church. Because to truly live for the Lord would cause your life to get uncomfortable. And maybe you're not there yet, but maybe that's what you're tempted just like they were. Just to, just to shrink back. Just to go through, just, to, just out, outwardly just to do that. But if you're here this morning, the good news of grace is simply this. Is that if you'll confess that to the Lord and turn from that, then His grace washes over you and you can start afresh walking with the Lord today. You don't have to play church any longer. You can know and experience Jesus in a real way. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you've exchanged following Jesus for some kind of spirituality. But you've come to the place where the truth of God's word has reminded you that there is no salvation in any other name other than the name of Jesus. Even the angels worship him. And so if you're here this morning and you've never entered into a personal relationship with Christ despite being spiritual, here's what I want to share with you this morning, that right now, right where you're at, you can receive Christ as your Savior. You can know God because you know Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and you've never prayed to receive Christ, would you do that right now? Would you just confess your sins before God? Would you proclaim Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation? Would you receive him by faith today? Maybe you're in that last group. And you're doing your best to walk with the Lord, but it's making life uncomfortable. And you just say, hey, I, j just, just pray for me. Because there are times in the midst of what I'm walking through, I just feel like shrinking back and giving up and going through the motions, even though I know he's worth it. I know that intellectually, but emotionally, it's hard. And the easy thing to do would just be to shrink back. Just pray for me this morning. If that's where you find yourself this morning, would you just raise your hand up and say, hey, that's me. Amen. 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 Anybody else? Hey, that, that's me. Amen. Amen. Let me just pray for you this morning. Father, I pray for those who were honest before God, who raised their hands. I pray for those who should have raised their hands, but it was too painful to even acknowledge what they're walking through. God, I pray that as they walk through this season, where pursuing the Lord is making life uncomfortable, God, at the end of the day, they would walk out of here renewed with one central message from Hebrews chapter 1, that Jesus is worth it. Yes, it will be hard. Yes, it will be times we're ostracized. Yes, it will cause us difficulty in relationships, but above all things, Jesus is greater than. And so, Lord, encourage their hearts and minds with that truth today. No matter what they face this week, let them rehearse that in their own minds. Jesus is worth it. And so, God, we're grateful for your sustaining grace. May it get us through another day for your glory. We pray this in his name. Amen.